if you haven't already, turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. Now, those of you who are baseball fans, uh, and even those of you who aren't, have heard the name Yogi Berra. Um, you may not know that he played and managed, played for and managed the Yankees during his career, but you are probably aware of his contribution to the English language. Um, they are known as yogiisms. The most famous, of course, are it ain't over till it's over, and uh, when you come to the fork in the road, take it. But his most memorable came in 1961 when his teammates Mickey Mantle and Roger Maris were chasing Babe Ruth's home run record and they hit back-to-back home runs and Yogi is said to have said, it's deja vu all over again. And in many ways we could use that Yogiism and actually I am using that Yogiism tonight. It's going to feel like deja vu all over again when it comes to our outline Because it is very similar and in some cases identical this week as it was last week. And I encourage you actually to take time, if you didn't this past week, to do so this coming week, to to read these two passages together, to to lay them out side by side or, or to go back and forth in a compare and contrast fashion as you study these two announcements. Because you'll find in verses 26 to 38... Uh, the same storyline that we saw in verses 5 to 25. And what I've done is I've attempted to kind of point out both uh, the similarity and differences in tonight's outline. So last week, I'll just remind you that the, ordinary, the, the outline looked like this. The ordinary circumstances, the profound encounter, the telling response, the dramatic consequences and the untold secret. This week, and you'll find this on the back of your bulletin as uh, for you note takers, we're going to look at the lowly circumstances, the profound encounter, the telling response, the dramatic conception, and the untold faith. So again, you'll find that in the back of your outline, or I'm sorry, the back of your bulletin, and as is our custom, let's go to the Lord before we begin, all right? Father, your word is authoritative. It is inerrant. It is sufficient. And through it, you grant us everything pertaining to life and godliness. So would you, this evening, give us ears to hear that we may be complete and lacking in nothing and equipped for every good work. We admit that we are prone to wander and we would ask that you would use the preaching of your word to drive the dark of doubt away. Please use me in these moments as you see fit for the sake of Christ and his church. And I ask these things in his name. Amen and amen. Well, the stories themselves, again, when you lay them side by side, you see that we move from lesser to greater uh, in terms of the announcements, uh, in terms of those being announced as coming uh, in the days and months ahead. 
Um, but the circumstances of the story, uh, the stories themselves actually move from greater to lesser. You'll remember last week we saw uh, Elizabeth and Zechariah being an ordinary average couple living among an ordinary average people, living ordinary and average lives and experiencing that same ordinary average routine and the ups and downs and ins and outs and pleasure and uh, pain and plenty and want and acceptance and rejection, prosperity and adversity and all of those things that are a part of just the normal day to day. And we said that was important because we, we see and we read, or we read of them and we, and we understand where they are and it, it enables us to identify with them. Right? We're like them. This week, the circumstances aren't ordinary. They're actually lowly. They're less than ordinary. As I was telling the children, and of course, you heard this, but uh, Mary was more than likely 14 to 15 years old, very possibly as young as 12. And she lived in the midst of this male-dominated culture. Some would even say it was a, a woman-demeaning culture. And when you add to the fact, when you add this to the fact, and that is that she was from uh, Nazareth in Galilee, which had a reputation of not producing anything or anyone that was any good at all. And you have, from a, very, from a human perspective, the least likely person that God would use and therefore an angel would approach. Unlike her cousin Elizabeth and Zechariah, her husband, Mary had no education. She had no standing. Um, she had no credentials, she had no reputation to speak of, and other than the fact that she was already betrothed or engaged to Joseph, who was from the line of David, there really wasn't anything about her that would cause a stir or would put her in the position of the topic of conversation. Her life yeah, I'll say it. Her life screamed obscurity and insignificance. And as I thought about her, I thought, you know, she's the perfect example of not a man but a woman that the Beatles wrote about, right? Living in a nowhere land, making all of her nowhere plans for nobody. You know, she didn't have a point of view or one that anybody cared to hear about. Um, and she had no idea where she was going to. And she is a bit like you and me. Right? She too is someone that we can all identify with. And it's in the midst of these lowly circumstances that Gabriel shows up again. It's been about six months, and Gabriel is sent by God to make another birth announcement, but this time he seems to, when he enters, he seems to be attempting to make a less startling appearance. And I say that because of verse 28. It says, when Gabriel shows up, he says, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. 
Now, had this happened to Lucy or Marin or Rachel or Sarah or um, Anna Claire, to put this in perspective, right, they would have heard, you've been chosen as a recipient of God's grace, and he wants you to know that he's with you. And verse 29 says that Mary was obviously and greatly troubled or perplexed, as you can imagine, as any, any of our own young ladies would have been. And actually, the language is such that she was more perplexed than even Zechariah. But notice fear is not mentioned anywhere. We read through the passage and fear is not mentioned. We know it's present because Gabriel once again says, as he always did, you know, don't be afraid. But it's not the same kind of fear. It's, it's not a fear of judgment. It's not a fear of, of his appearance. It's a fear of the unknown. And that unknown is due to a lack of understanding. Um, she's, she's troubled at the saying and was trying to discern what sort of greeting this might be. So it's, it's curiosity it's concern for what he said that has pushed her to a point and is intense enough that she's afraid. And so Gabriel explains. He wants to, set us, he wants to, to help her in the midst of that fear. And in verse 30, he says, Mary, you've you found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. And will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary hears from this angel that she's blessed by God. And he's chosen her to be a recipient of his favor. And actually the word is he's been, she's been chosen to receive grace. She hasn't done anything to earn it. She hasn't done anything to merit it. It's not about her position and standing, and it's a good thing because she doesn't have any. It was simply due to the sovereign choice of a loving God, a loving and gracious God. And by that grace, he says, you're going to bear a son, and his name is Jesus. And the, and the word Jesus, the name means Yahweh saves. So she's hearing this one that you are going to, to bear, the one that you are going to conceive and have. This is Yahweh who saves. The Lord is salvation. In other words, this covenant-keeping God is going to save. And while John, we read last week, that John would be great before the Lord... Jesus is simply going to be great, right? He's going to be great in and of himself, and that's because he would be God, and he's not only God, but he's the one who would be the ultimate fulfillment of the promise that God had made to David that we read about and is recorded in 2 Samuel chapter 7. It says this, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your father's God says, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. 
I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Jesus would be great because he would be the son of God and the ultimate fulfillment of that long-awaited, long-anticipated heir to the throne, the king, the promised Messiah who would save his people and deliver them and would establish his rule and reign forever. And Mary's response to this announcement is as telling as Zachariah's response was telling when he had heard from Gabriel some months before. Look at verse 34. She says, how will this be? I'm a virgin. And if we use Zechariah's response as a baseline, we would expect that Mary would express even more doubt than Zechariah because probably of her age as well as the overwhelming nature of the announcement and of who the child was actually going to be. But while she was puzzled, and she does ask a question, it's much different than Zechariah because Mary doesn't ask for a sign. She doesn't need a sign. She doesn't need the angel to prove that she is going to conceive. She doesn't need the angel to prove that the baby is going to be who he has said he is going to be. Her question didn't arise out of doubt. It didn't arise out of innocence or ignorance. Mary understood the facts of life. And she simply wanted to know... How was this going to take place? Because, in her words, I'm a virgin. It's clear that she understood that she, she was about to be, she was betrothed to David, uh, to Joseph, who was from the line of David. And typically that betrothal, that first stage, lasted about a year. And then she would be married. But as she's listening to Gabriel, she's obviously thinking that this conception is going to take place prior to the marriage. And when you add to that the fact that she had never been intimate, so she, she will not be intimate, had not been, and will not be intimate with Joseph. She had not been intimate with someone from the past. So because there was this lack of intimacy, the logical question, it was, it was logical and reasonable because it was biological. How? She had believed God in his word that was given through Gabriel. And so there was no need to convince her. She was simply curious, as anyone would have been. And look at verse 35. Gabriel provides a description of a dramatic conception. He says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the Son of God. 
And Gabriel said she's going to conceive by the power of the Holy Spirit who is going to rest upon her, who is going to protect her, who is going to be present with her. In other words, the same Spirit who was present at creation, who was hovering over the face of the waters in the beginning when God created out of nothing and was there when man was created out of dust and was there in the Exodus when when the Shekinah glory rested upon the tabernacle, that same spirit that was active and powerful and was used by God would be used by God again. And so her, the birth of this child would be natural, but the conception would be supernatural. And this is as it had to be. It had to be this way because through this dramatic and supernatural conception, Jesus would be both God and man. Listen to what our confession affirms in the shorter catechism. In questions 21 and 22, the question, the first question is, who is the redeemer of God's elect? And the answer is, the only redeemer of God's elect is the Lord Jesus Christ, who being the eternal son of God became man and so was and continues to be God and man in two distinct natures and one person forever. The question that follows is, how did Christ, being the Son of God, become man? And the answer is, Christ, the Son of God, became man by taking to himself a true body and a reasonable soul, being conceived by the power of the Holy Ghost in the womb of the Virgin Mary and born of her, yet without sin. The conception by the Holy Spirit maintains the deity of Christ and his natural birth by Mary maintains his humanity and this is why this is why Gabriel said that the child would be called holy he would be called holy because through this supernatural creative act of the spirit Jesus would be free from the corruption of the sin and guilt of Adam and he would be set apart and used to intervene on behalf of those who had inherited and had been imputed with the sin and guilt of Adam and had therefore been corrupted and were helpless. Listen to how questions 15 to 17 of the Heidelberg Catechism put it. What kind of mediator and deliverer should we look for then in that state of misery? What should we look for? The answer is one who is truly human and truly righteous, yet more powerful than all creatures, that is, one who is also true God. The, question, the next question is, well, why must he be truly human and truly righteous? And the answer is God's justice demands that human nature, which has sinned, must pay for its sin. But a sinner could never pay for others. And so the next question is, well, why must he also be true God? And the answer is, so that by the power of his divinity, he might bear the weight of God's anger in his humanity and earn for us and restore to us righteousness and life. Right? The bottom line is that salvation rises and falls on this supernatural Holy Spirit conception. It rises and falls on the virgin birth. It rises and falls on the incarnation of the Son of God. 
And we have the pleasure over the next few weeks of fleshing that out even more. Right, as we work toward Christmas. Now, it's important to also note there that Gabriel doesn't stop at that point. He gives Mary a sign, even though she didn't ask for one. She didn't need one, but he gives one to her anyway. He wants to assure her that everything he said is in fact true. So in verse 36, and he says, And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. He says, Mary, look, if, if God can bring life from a barren womb, he can bring life from a virgin's womb. God can do anything. Nothing is beyond his reach. Nothing is impossible for him. Everything is under his purview. And that was apparently enough for Mary. She had asked her question. He had answered the answer sufficed. It wasn't something that she was going to be able to explain to others without some inquisitive looks and probing questions. It wasn't going to be something that people were going to accept at face value. Even after she began to show in the second trimester, trimester. As a matter of fact, when she began to show, it was then that things were really going to start happening. The questions were going to come. Fingers were going to be pointed. Judgmental looks would abound. Horrible accusations would be made. And the potential for calls for her stoning. More than likely, no one was going to believe her story. No matter how thoroughly and clearly she explained it, no matter what she said, no one would ever believe she had not been intimate with a man. Her own fiancé was going to struggle with that. They all understood biology too. And the visible evidence was going to point to her impurity and infidelity. And we need to think about this because right, to give birth to him who would be called holy, she would be called unholy. She would be called unholy, immoral, unfaithful, a fornicator, and a liar. Her condition was going to cost her family and her fiancé dearly, and it very well could have cost her everything. So if she had been hesitant at any point, or if she had looked at Gabriel and said, is there any other way? Can he not use any, anyone else? Or is there another plan? Can you use me but just do it in this way? Everyone, we all would have understood that. But in verse 38, she says, Behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed. 
So be it, she says. As you wish. May it be so. Amen. The Lord had spoken and she believed. And she didn't just believe, but she exhibited her belief by submitting to what the angel had said. What Gabriel had said. She said, okay, without hesitation, I'll do it. He, the Lord was her master. She was his slave. That's the language. Doulos. I'm your slave. Do with me what you will. The epitome of childlike faith. An untold faith. Zechariah proved that he is a priest. Right, was living by sight and not by faith. Here we have Mary as a peasant proving that she was living by faith and not by sight. Even as a young teenager. She was willing to give all that she had both presently and in the future. For the call that had been placed upon her and for the sake of her Lord. And so we say, all right, what... We should say, what all can we take away? <laughs> um, as usual, there are more things than we can count. And there are some, there are some uh, deeply theological things here. And there are some practical applications as well. And we're going to be fleshing out some of those deeper theological things as we move forward through the birth. And even through the gospel, as, as Luke continues to um, write in such a way that that our doubt might be lifted about who Jesus was and is. But I want to draw your attention to three particular things tonight, okay? And the first is this, and this is no surprise, you know this as well as I do, but God's ways are not our ways. If we were the ones who had determined the plan, if we were the ones who had chosen the providential means and circumstances through which God would reveal himself and and place Jesus on the throne, you know, if we were to come up with this plan of the coronation of the king and the establishment of a kingdom, chances are pretty good it wouldn't have looked like this. We would have, we would have chosen events that were much more grandiose, much more formal, much more, much more regal, and the people would have been much more prominent. They would have been people of standing more than likely, it would have looked pretty elitist. And the characters would have been less generic and more stellar. Their, their resumes would have been more stellar. And it would have been far more credentialed. And of course, less obscure and insignificant. But this story reveals that God is a God of the unexpected. And and this includes from how he works to the people that he uses. You and I have all had plans that we've made at particular times and, and thought that God and could and would follow that plan as we had established it. Only to find out that, that his plan was a little different. And our plans didn't come to fruition. And they, they not only did they not... In some cases, maybe they came to fruition, but a little later than we thought, or they didn't come to fruition at all. And what we, what we learn here is that when those things happen, we don't throw up our hands 
in frustration and automatically assume that God has left us or forsaken us. We must always remember that He is at work. He is at work according to His plan. And we must rest in the fact that He, in Paul's words in Romans 8, He who did not spare His own Son but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also along with Him graciously give us all things in His time according to His plan and the counsel of His will for His glory and for our good? And we've all probably at one time or another had that, we've counted ourselves out, right? We've counted ourselves out as far as being used by God, as far as being used by God is concerned because, right, we recognize our lowliness. Whether that be due to our sin or due to a lack of faith, whether it be due to our weakness or our undesirability or our station in life or the lack that we have. But the answer never has been and never will be to deny our lowliness or to attempt to elevate ourselves to a place of acceptability. The plan has always been and always will be to remember that God became lowly himself. He became lowly himself in the person of the Lord Jesus, that he might reach out to the lowly, that he might save the lowly, that he might use the lowly. Second, of course, the title, it is verse 37. It can be stated in the negative as well as the positive. Nothing is impossible with God or all things are possible with God. And, you know, sometimes in preparation I, I read something and think, well, that cannot be improved upon. Not that I've improved upon anything to this point, but there are just some things that there's just no way that however I might put that, you can't improve upon that, and, and I, just, I just need to read it. And so I want to just read this from Philip Ryken. He summarizes this very well. He says, is there anything in your life that seems impossible? Perhaps it seems impossible for your great sin to be forgiven, especially after all the times you have tried not to do it again but failed. Perhaps it seems impossible for your family to be restored after all the heartbreak and for joy to come again. Maybe it seems impossible for your physical and financial needs to be met or for your work, your studies, or your ministry to succeed. It may seem impossible to endure the suffering that has come into your life or for someone you love to come to Christ. But the Bible says nothing will be impossible with God. He is the God of the virgin birth. There is no sin he cannot forgive. No relationship he cannot reconcile. No problem he cannot resolve. No need he cannot meet. No ministry he cannot bless. No grief he cannot comfort. No life he cannot reclaim. No sinner 
he cannot save. The God of the virgin birth is the God who makes all things possible. Are you believing in that God? He is the God of the scriptures, and he has revealed himself to us in Jesus. Finally, we should submit ourselves to him. We should submit ourselves to him. Last week we saw a man, again, I've already said this, walking by sight rather than faith. This week we see a young woman, a young girl actually, who is walking by faith and not by sight. Her submission was evidence of her trust and belief in the Lord. And despite the, the supernatural nature of the plan, and, and despite what, what the plan was going to cost her. She submitted herself. She, she gave of herself and entrusted herself and her family and her reputation and her future. Her, her marital plans, everything was submitted to the Lord. She refused to hold on to any of her own plans or maintain her own comfort in any way. She was content to be and possess and experience what the Lord intended her to be, to possess and to experience. And for you and I on this side of the cross, the same should be said of us. Right? We, we are not our own. We have been bought with the, with the price and the price of the imperishable blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. We too are slaves. Bond servants of His Therefore, in the words of Paul, we should count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord. For his sake, we should be willing to suffer the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that we may gain Christ and be found in him. We should, again in the words of Paul, be content. We should be we, we should know how to be brought low and how to abound. In any and every circumstance, we should learn the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And of course, all of that is only possible through Christ who gives us strength. Brothers and sisters, may we submit ourselves to our King. May, may our desire to be, and may we submit ourselves to be what he desires us to be and, and to possess and to experience. May we take up our cross and follow the Lord Jesus Christ regardless of the cost because he alone is worthy. He is our king. He is reigning and he will forever be our king and he will forever reign. We will forever be his. May the dark of doubt be cast away as we trust in the Lord Jesus.